They tried to stop my shine, but I said, hold up. Y'all know how many hoes done tried to hold this hoe up. Talk to music. What's up? Better late than never. Black and better than ever. Kicking off your week. Like making Craig a big old free. See, cause I can only be me. That's the truth, not a tease. And when I go too far, they say, Carisha, please. Hey, what's up, everybody? Hey, what's up? everybody i know i'm late this week but i'm here no i'm late this week but i'm here welcome to craig's pop life a black gay excursion into pop culture i'm your host craig seymour you know me i've been writing about pop culture for more than 20 years now you can read some of my music writing at rnbeing.com I'm also an author who has written a number of books, the biography Luther, The Life and Longing of Luther Vandross, and i actually done some interviews about the R&B King recently, so I'll be sharing those podcast interviews with you as they come up. Had some really nice conversations with some very smart people. Um, I also have a memoir about being a grad school stripper hoe, and that's called All I Could Bear, My Life in the Strip Clubs of Gay Washington, D.C., And there's my novel about three generations of black gay men looking for love. That one's called Who's Your Daddy? And my forthcoming book special, The Life and Art of Janet Jackson, coming very soon. Um, I have a website where you can find links for all the songs and other stuff that I discuss on the show. It's very easy to remember. It's just craigspoplife.com. And I have an Amazon shop where all the books that I discuss in the podcast, as well as other important stuff like getting you those good Janet Jackson vinyl reissues. I have those all up there on the shop for you. My favorite hot sauces, you know, just all the stuff that is important to me. My favorite novels, all sorts of things. And that's also easy to remember. That's at Amazon.com slash shop slash Craig's Pop Life. So let's get into what's going on in the world of pop culture this week. Of course, we had the BET Awards and Mary J. Blige's epic tribute to her goddamn self. Everybody clap for that again. And I did a whole recap show about that, so you can check that out if you haven't had the chance. And now what else has been going on? Um, It's been kind of slow, but child, just when you thought you could get through the week, Without some goddamn crazy Whitney Houston news. You know, no hologram tours, no family drama, no old stuff dredged up. Here they come with some old cover of Steve Winwood's Higher Love and trying to sell it to us as a new single. (sighs) Some backstory. Okay, now she had recorded kind of a New Jack Swing version of Higher Love with narrator Michael Walden who did... um, You know, he did a lot of stuff on the first album, but he really did a lot of stuff on the second album. And these were during the sessions for the third album, I'm Your Baby Tonight. But The Higher Love only made it to the Japanese as a Japanese bonus track, thank God, because it was really just this, because, you know, this really very tired, 
New Jack Swing cover of it. You know, nothing original about it or anything. And of course, by the time of I'm Your Baby Tonight, she had had that moment where she had been alienated from the black community in a lot of ways because she had gone so pop and people was booing her at Soul Train Awards and all of that kind of madness. So she really wasn't, you know, trying to serve black people a New Jack Swing cover of Higher Love. And, you know, at that particular time in her career, she was trying to do newer, bigger, better and blacker things. Um, and that's why most of that album was done by L.A. and Babyface. Um, so here it is, damn near 30 years later, and we get a remix of Higher Love by the Norwegian DJ producer Kaigo, who apparently is in the dead black people business because he had already done a remix of Sexual Healing by Marvin Gaye. Now, of course, I have thoughts about this whole mess. Um, I mean, first of all, I don't even want to hear a higher love cover by my fave Shaka Khan, and she's on the damn original. Like, some songs are just of their moment and of their particular time, and they don't really need to be dredged up again. Higher Love was from that very particular late 80s moment, you know, when these white rockers were out here singing these ballads with big gospel-like backing choirs and, you know, or with... Big voice singers like Shaka doing her thing. You know, it's kind of from the same school as Foreigners. I want to know what love is, where um, Jennifer Holliday is hollering all over it. You know, that was a time. That was a place. It was what it was. Um, I'm not saying I didn't enjoy those songs at the time. I'm just saying that that really is not, has anything to do with where music is today. And so it's just the whole concept and the structure of the song. Just everything seems dated from, from Jump. But, you know, this all comes back to Pat Houston, Whitney Um's sister-in-law, and who was her manager for a long time, is now the sole um executor of the estate. And this was her justification for, you know, dusting off this tired um higher love. She said to Rolling Stone, um, the current cultural environment has been thirsty for something uplifting and inspiring. I mean, as if we're all of a sudden supposed to forget all the troubles of the Trump world because she just dug up an old Whitney cover. Like, that just seems to me so, such an um, example of just how misguided Pat Houston in this state is about the stuff that we want from Whitney and who we actually now know Whitney to be. Like, we don't need this kind of these generic uplift songs. And then Pat goes on, as she always does, to say that she just wants us to remember the old Whitney, just remember the old Whitney. As if, you know, the old Whitney that she's talking about, that's basically, you know, like the first two albums, as if we hadn't had decades of Whitney maturing as a woman and also going through her life struggles, as we all go through our life struggles since then. I think it's very sort of disrespectful to the trajectory of her career to her through her journey as a woman through her journey as an addict and sometimes being able to you know handle that struggle sometimes not being able to like a lot of people that struggle to addiction but what have you that is what life is and that's like when people have scars and they're like yes I earned this scar you know it doesn't to me, it does a disservice to try to just pretend like the best Whitney Houston was, you know, the 20-something Whitney Houston that sang The Greatest Love of All. Like, that 
is to me reduces somebody's not only reduces somebody's life but reduces the reality of life because if you live long enough in this life you go through some things and there's no need in pretending that Whitney didn't go through some things so let's just deal with that um but again she told Rolling Stone we want people to remind I don't know if that's how Bow used to talk but that's how I'm imagining she talks because I'm like all airy like what was the um what was the professor in um Harry Potter that taught the um, divination or something like that. I'm thinking that Pat Houston at this point is that far up in the clouds <laughs> in terms of what people want from Whitney that that's probably how, that's how she'd be talking to my mind, okay? Um, this is what she told Rolling Stone. We want to remind people why they fell in love with Whitney in the first place. Like I said, that is a wasted effort because by now, most of us know that the Whitney that was presented to us in the first place was a manufactured image, one that pretty much devoured the real woman behind it. And we can't just go back and pretend that, that, that we don't know that and just go back to hearing her sing poppy generic songs. I don't even want to hear how well I know. You know, the genie is out of the body, bottle. When it comes to Whitney, the genie is out of the bottle. She been out the bottle. She out here having a hot girl summer. She out here making before I let go videos for the gram. The genie is out of the bottle. The genie ain't going back in the bottle. So we don't need to pretend like we're trying to cram the genie back in the bottle. Let's just deal with the genie that's out. You know, and we know the truth of Whitney's life and career. We have two documentaries on the subject by now. One that I like, Cannot Be Me, and that other one. Um, so you can't just go sell us some artificial dream girl who can lift the nation with the Star Spangled Banner and just whatever. We know the truth. And the truth is that she struggled hard to get through this here thing we call life, just like all of the rest of us. And like I said, I feel like we need to, I feel like that's the only realistic Whitney that we, that the public will accept now. But then moreover, like I said, I feel like that's a tribute to her life. No, you should not be defined by your troubles. You should also be defined by your triumphs. But there's also in your triumphs over your troubles. You don't go back to just your, um, you know, a time before you've never been tested. Because if you've never been tested, what difference does it make? How do you triumph over something you've never been tested? Whitney came out the gate, no obstacles. She could do anything. Boom, bam, bam, bam. And then she was tested. And in a lot of ways, she fell. But then other ways, she also prospered. Let's pay homage to that. Um, and then, you know, just the whole business of just having this... Um, Chicago person involved just because like I said apparently he's in the dead black people business I ain't know but apparently that's what he do and she, apparently Pat Houston was just so just enamored of this Chicago getting involved went going on so far as to say to the good old Rolling Stone you can't that she didn't really interfere in what he did with the song because she said you can't tell Michael Jordan how to shoot a basketball so now all of a sudden this Norwegian man messing around with these old ass vocals is akin to Michael Jordan Really? I don't even fuck with sports like that. I don't even, you know, I just know the reference for the reference, but I'm saying even I know that shit is inappropriate. So, um, my thing is, like I said, I think the choice of the song was a mistake to begin with. I think it's too generic given the times, given the state of music, and given what we know about Whitney's life and death. It's just misguided. Um, ideally, but I understand the need, I mean, to have Whitney be reintroduced to a new audience that might not really 
understand her more than just as a tabloid figure. I definitely understand and think that it's important for people to understand um, the music and what she did. But I think that there's a way of doing that with it sounding contemporary and also without us trying to pretend that she was something that she wasn't. So, um, like, this is just my ideas, okay? So, you know, one black gay man's opinions as a black gay man that had been following Whitney ever since the beginning of the beginning, you know, ever since she was on that Teddy Pendergrass album before she was even, um, you know, with the whole good old homie before her debut was even out. These are some Whitney songs that I think could be remixed that would be a little bit more contemporary and appropriate, okay? So I think they could have gotten the folks behind Ariana Grande's Thank You Next to remix In My Business. You know, the Missy Elliott cut from My Love Is Your Love, In My Business. I think that that could have been hot, you know? If you're also going to go the remix route, I think you could have gotten DJ Mustard to give the LMA treatment to Worth It. I know a lot of y'all are going, what the fuck is Worth It? Worth It is that song that goes... For the Lovers is For the Lovers. That's right after that other song called For the Lovers on um, the last comeback album. What was it called? Um, I, look to, I Look to You. I'll put it on the website because you've probably forgotten it. But Worth It is really a hot song. And um, I think, you know, DJ Mustard Twist, you know, putting her in the LMA category, getting her on the urban, urban adult charts. I think that that would have been cool. Um, quite frankly, I think they could just straight re-release her version of I Was Made to Love Him, produced by Lauryn Hill. Because that was an initial bonus track. I think eventually in subsequent pressings it may have gotten on the album, and it's listed as a single track on the streaming sites. But I still think that a lot of people, especially a generation of younger fans, don't know that record. So I think just putting out I Was Made to Love Him would be hot. So... I just think um, there are a lot more options of material that sounds more contemporary and is more in line with the real woman we know than the black respectability Barbie that they tried to shove down our throats. And as for the unreleased material, I mean, we know that, you know, quite honestly, a lot of that unreleased material I don't want to hear because I feel like a lot of that unreleased material probably is whack on the lines of like a New Jack Swing version of Higher Love. You know, I don't think there are any great Michael Masser ballads or that kind of thing just sitting in the vaults because I think anything that sounded like money probably came out but what I do think is that they they did say if you read a lot of Whitney biographies and whatnot you know a lot of records for the first album were rejected for being too R&B now I think those records are probably hot I think we probably would like a lot of those records that were left off the debut for being too R&B for example, um, the great writer Nelson George talks about how at one point Whitney for the day B album, she was doing sessions with Leon Silvers. Now, that could be amazing because around that time, you know, that was Leon Silvers doing when he was doing stuff like Shalimar's A Night to Remember or Evelyn Champagne King's Shakedown. You could imagine Whitney tearing up either one of those cuts. So that's the kind of unreleased material that I want to hear. I do not want to hear any more unreleased, generic, whatever. I don't want to hear no more covers. I don't want to hear any, if it's not sounding R&B and if it's not sounding like, you know, that young soul for Whitney, the one that sings, I want to hear more of like the Whitney on um, Thinking About You. Like if I could hear more records like that and the way that she sang so soulfully 
on that record, but that was kept to such a minimum on the debut. That's the kind of stuff that I'm checking for. But this other stuff is just a mess. And, um, you know, maybe it's a play. She's always had a big international audience. That's why we didn't ha see her tour for like the last 50 zillion tours because she was playing international because, you know, they had less. Even though, you know, it's such a myth that because Michael Jackson did the same thing was people would often tour internationally because they felt like they got less scrutiny um, over there for live, their live performances. But I felt for Whitney's last tour, there were people, uh, Australian people, all sorts of people on the news every single night talking about her voice cracking and sh them leaving the shows and everything like that. So I think that whole thing about you get less bad press internationally is a myth. Or maybe you get less bad press, but then the people that are, in, especially in the internet age, the people that are actually in the concert come out and then make their little videos about how much of a mess the performance was. So I think that that whole thing can just go. But, you know, again, I don't know, maybe the Kygo thing's gonna, I, I can't see it doing a damn thing here, but maybe it might do something internationally, but I don't think that that is going to do anything to keep her alive in um, the black community in the way that she deserves to be. Because if you really think about it, I mean, does Whitney have a barbecue song? Like, I, does Whitney have a wedding song? I mean, you think of these these artists that have these um, records that are really integrated into um, into everyday black rituals. I mean, maybe I'm tripping, but I just don't really think Whitney has that many of those type of songs. Now, some people point out on Twitter, a lot of y'all be playing Saving All My Love For You at um, your weddings and whatnot. Saving All My Love For You, is not, that's, a, that's a song about creeping. That is not a song. <laughs> so you playing that at your wedding, you are just setting yourself up for some shenanigans because <laughs> that is not a wedding song. But, uh, you know, I just feel like that's where my focus would be on if I was the executor of her estate. I would really be trying to just kind of, because um, black people are going to sustain you. Black people are going to keep your legacy alive in terms of speaking your name and everything like that, playing the songs on Quiet Storm. That's where the history is. I mean, international, yeah, you might be able to get some coins off of it. And, you know, I'm sure there are Whitney bills to pay. But um, it just seems would be a shame for her to just go this generic route where they're just digging up old vocals, letting some European DJ throw some kind of generic tropical house beat on it and just going on from there. I just think that would be very sad. But it is what it is, and it's not my business, but I just have to, as a consumer and fan, I just have to give my piece. Um, so in a more remix kind of reissue news, we've actually had a lot of Janet Jackson activity of late. First, we got Control, the remixes in May. That was a big, nice surprise. And that, of course, includes, among other things that are just necessary, like the um, Shep Pettibone mix of Pleasure Principle, which is the single mix and everything. Um, that also includes the legendary Nasty Cool Summer mix. And two fun facts about that particular mix. Um, first of all, it was done because pop radio was taking its sweet white time with What Have You Done For Me Lately, and Black Radio had been bumping Nasty ever since the album dropped. So when it was decided that Nasty was going to be the second single, everybody knew they had to switch it up in order to keep it fresh at Black Radio, because Black Radio was almost damn near played out on the song. So that's when Jimmy and Terry came up with the funky, laid-back, cool summer mix. Now this is a real-ass story. It's kind of embarrassing. I'm just going to let y'all know. 
this is just this one of these these one of these classic Janet fan type stories from people. I mean, a lot of people have their stories about stuff that they've done recently. You know, caravan into metamorphosis and what have. This is classic Janet shit. Okay, so y'all know I'm from DC, and they had been playing the Cool Summer Mix on WKYS for a couple of weeks, and so it looked like it wasn't going to be commercially released. Like it was just going to be one of the radio only things. And I was shook because I love this song. I mean, I would be like running to the radio every time. And I had, this was back in the day when we had cassette recorders and we taped stuff off the radio. And I had a couple of like low quality tapes on it. But, you know, every now and then the static would come in and, the, you know, whatever. I wouldn't catch it exactly right or what have you. So I was just tight that I didn't have a clean, perfect version of this um, mix that I love so much. And this was in the pre-internet days. We had no way to ask the artist or the record company or anybody about it. We couldn't just add flight type flight time jam back in the day and say, Hey Jimmy, you know, y'all releasing the remix or what? You know, couldn't do that back then. So now at the time I was working at the Wiz. Yes, that Wiz, that record store, electronic store, as in nobody beats the um, for all you old heads who remember that. Um, and occasionally people from WKYS would come in the store. And, you know, we'd chop it up, whatever, talk about new records and stuff. Because sometimes it was weird. Like, sometimes records would go to radio stations first. But sometimes records, um, especially independent ones, would kind of come to the stores first. So I'd be turning them on to stuff and vice versa and what have you. And everything's good. So I paid this band that worked at WKYS. Fifty damn dollars, okay? Fifty dollars, fifty eighties dollars. Not talking about fifty nowadays dollars. Fifty eighties dollars, okay? That was a lot of money. I'm working, you know, a minimum wage selling go-go records, you know, after school. So anyway, I paid him fifty damn dollars to record the cool summer mix for me on a high-quality cassette. Cause you know, I don't know if y'all know cassette culture like that, but back in the day, you had like many different um cassette qualities so i picked up the top of the line like the gold cassette you know and i gave him it and you know he brought it back i gave him his 50 dollars cash and then i had my janet jackson cool summer mix on cassette pure high fidelity cha when i got that cassette i thought i was the coolest negro in dc the dc had ever seen it was hot as hell in D.C. in the summertime. It is hot as hell in D.C. in the summertime. I drove around, windows down, damn near choking, could barely breathe in the humidity. But I was blasting that cool summer mix over and over again. If you drove by me any kind of way up and down the street, I'd be driving through all sorts of neighborhoods, the white neighborhoods, the black neighborhoods. I would just be driving to just playing that cool summer mix over and over and over and over again. I thought I was the one. I damn near drove by every friend's house. Hey, oh, how you doing? Oh, okay. Oh, you heard the snoo mix? You know, I dropped in on family members I hadn't seen in years. I was just, anybody around me knew I had the nasty, cool summer mix. I showed up at every party. Anybody was DJing, and they were teaching, oh, but do you have the cool summer mix? Oh, why don't you slip this? I just, I mean, I was trafficking in cool summer mix okay so anyway cut to about a week maybe it was 10 days later it maybe it was two weeks but it wasn't a long time i'm at work doing my whiz job you know we get the records in a in a box they come in a um box of like 
25, 30 records. You take the little box cut, you slide, slit it open, and then you go through, you know, this, you don't, the way it was, is like we got records shipped from the main warehouse. So some, if it was a big release, like let's say Whitney Houston, then it would just be a big box of Whitney Houston's, okay? But in most cases, it'd be a box of miscellaneous things that just came into the warehouse. So I'm flipping through, I'm getting stuff out, and lo and behold, I glance down, and there is a shiny, wrapped, new 12-inch of Janet Jackson, Nasty, Cool Summer Mix, Part 1 and Part 2, okay? Retail price, $4.99. With my employee discount, like, two-something. I was mad as I don't know what. I had just spent 50 motherfucking dollars on this shit. And here it was in my hands for four ninety nine for any old motherfucker off the street to buy it. I was tight. My friends were laughing their asses off. I was tight. So that's why when I hear y'all be having so much sympathy when I hear y'all complaining about all these... Y'all paying for these new Janet prices. Y'all getting the vinyl reissues and everything. Because I've been going broke for Janet since 86. So I feel your pain. But, you know, I've been through it. So anyway. But the interesting thing about it more than just about me is that the release of the Cool Summer Mix actually set off a change within the U.S. music industry. Because although in overseas like in Europe and places labels will often release multiple 12 inches of the same single in the U.S. before the cool summer mix it was generally one and done once that one little remix came out that was the remix you got now maybe if the next single came along you might get an older newer remix of the old single on that but you wasn't just getting you know remix after remix reissued of the same track commercially available a lot of that's why I had assumed the thing was just promo only because that's just not the way things work. But at the, after that point, that really set things off where after that there were m- multiple 12 inches of the same song. And of course, that really set the stage for the remix renaissance of the 90s when, you know, you couldn't even keep count of all the damn mixes coming out and all the different versions and the different, you know, there was this mix on the CD single, but was it the CD single or was it the CD maxi single and this 12 inch and then you got the other 12 inch. It was a whole situation. So, but a lot of that started just with that cool summer mix. Um, The other thing interesting about the cool summer mix and there was also a cool summer mix of Herb Alpert's Diamonds with Janet on it, is that it inspired George Michael to work with Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis on the single version and remix for Monkey because he loved those cool summer mixes so much. So just giving y'all a little music trivia here as as I am trying to educate in the process of entertaining and whatnot. So a lot of that came from that one little mix that I grossly overpaid for. But so now, in addition to the recently remixed, uh, the, in addition to the Control remixes being reissued, Virgin has kind of recently snuck some singles and remixes on the streaming sites. So, so far, we've gotten That's the Way Love Goes, we've gotten If, We Have Any Time, Any Place, Together Again, and Someone to Call My Lover. So now, you would think I'd be happy, because you'd say, well... 
Craig loves Janet, so that would be a reason for him to be happy about these um, virgin reissues. And then you go, and Craig, you know Craig loves him some remixes. You look at Craig's Twitter timeline. Craig, Craig's always posting about some remixes. So Craig just must be in heaven over these um, Janet Jackson reissues on the streaming site. So why is he mad? Well, I will tell you why the fuck I'm mad. Because instead of just releasing all the mixes as they were released on vinyl and CD, somebody, I don't know who, but somebody went through and decided to just have their little pick and choose of which mixes to make available for streaming and which ones that just ain't available and just ain't on there. And that's the part that got me heated because it's like, it's streaming. We don't have no space issues. Do you know what I mean? Like, you're not fitting it on an 80-minute or a 70-minute disc or anything. It's just whatever. So why not just release all the mixes? Why? What? I don't even understand why the rationale is even to limit any of it. Like, who is the motherfucker just going through and randomly deciding, deciding, see, I'm so upset I can't talk, randomly deciding which versions get to live on in the streaming era? Now, of course, some of this is personal because, like, for example, because some of them are mixing, my, are mixing, are missing my favorite mixes. For instance, that's the way love goes. I love the We Aims to Win mixes that were done by Hank Shockley, Keith Shockley, and the Bomb Squad. They were the production team behind Public Enemy. Those were some bad motherfucking mixes. Well, one of them. I like the We Aims to Mix one. That's the mix I like. That's the mix that Janet put on the two CD, you know, um, Janet album reissue with, that also had like the um, That's the Way Love Goes If Medley from the MTV Awards and all that kind of stuff. That's the mix she chose for that. Okay. On the streaming sites, it's the We Aims to Mix number two mix, which irritates the fuck out of me because there's this noise in it. It sounds like something is rusty in the studio or something, and somebody needs to put some WD-40 on it. It's like there's a squeak through the entire record, and you're like, what is the fuck is that? Some people may like that. Some people may think that that extra little bit of dissonance makes it even more hip-hop. We could go back and forth with it and argue about that. I'm glad to have that conversation. But at least let me have my mix, too. At least have both mixes on there so we can have the damn conversation. Like... Just who would just decide just to randomly put that mix on it? It just little things like that just drive me crazy. But and don't worry, I'm gonna put all of my favorite mixes on my website, CraigPopLife.com, so you can hear the comparison. Now I'm mostly happy with the if reissue because at least it contains what was the definitive black radio favorite of the time, the D and D 12 inch mix. And the reason I'm saying all this is because I know a lot of people are are um not newer to Janet, but just weren't necessarily of the age where you were listening to radio at the time and knowing what was the cuts that were playing and everything like that. So if you're talking about If, because If was another cut with black radio, you know, black, it was, it was kind of difficult um, coordinating pop radio and black radio with um, black artists because, you know, black radio, black radio wants everything hot right away. So black radio would start playing stuff off the album. And so If had already been playing and, Pop radio is always a little bit slower about stuff. So again, that's necessitated the reason for a lot of the remixes. So by the time If was actually a single, the version that was most played, at least in D.C., was the D&D &D 12-inch mix. Um, 
And then the anytime, 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 anytime. I cannot talk. Anytime, any place um, digital release has the lush, just one of my favorite, um, the D&D house mix, which is an all-time fave. And this was very early in the days of transforming a um, ballad into just a beautiful dance floor, just dreamy dance floor number. You know, Toni Braxton took that to a whole nother place later in her career, but this is kind of one of the earlier versions of doing that. Um, you know, without them speeding up the vocals so it sounds like a chipmunk or something like that. But the um, D&D house mix of any time, any place is just beautiful. So I'm glad that that's there. Um, now, something is wrong altogether with the Together, Together Again single because a lot of mixes are listed, but the only thing that you can actually play is the Together Again album version. So I don't know exactly what is going on there. But if you know anything about me, and if you didn't know, now you do, the Together Again Jimmy Jam Deeper mix is not only, that's the ballad mix, um, is not only one of my favorite Janet mixes of all time, but also simply one of my top five, maybe top three, favorite Janet songs and videos, period. I just, I love everything about that record. Um, the video is just so beautiful with the kind of orange hair and the black dress she's taking it off and she's just holding herself and singing about you know remembering her lover and I just think it's so beautiful Renee directed that video and then but the whole concept of the song I love the ballad version of it so much more than the original because it's just so sensual to me and it really evokes the loss of an erotic lover you know and I don't know, this is just especially poignant to me as an AIDS elegy since so many people got sick during the era during acts of the deepest intimacy. So to me, this just really feels like it gives voice to that pain of losing a lover and losing a lover to something that, you know, was often associated with sex and acts of intimacy and everything. So I just, it's one of my favorite um, sort of song of the sort of that address the AIDS era. It's one of my favorite, like I said, Janet songs, videos of all time, or anyway, you will not be able to find it on the streaming site as of now. It's listed, but you can't find it. But like I said, I'll put it on the website. So at this point, I know y'all are probably saying, well, Craig, are you, aren't you just mad that the mixes you like aren't on the streaming site? Like, why are you making it so personal? And yes, there is that. I'm not going to lie. That is part of it. But it's a bigger issue than that because, you know, it's, it's more than just my personal taste. Because I have all these, I have all my favorite mixes. I have them on CD. I have them on vinyl. In the case of the Cool Summer Mix, I still have the damn cassette. And I've uploaded all everything I want to hear to iTunes. So I don't personally have an issue as far as my own favorite mixes. I per don't personally have an access issue. But it becomes a case of which versions live on in the digital era so that newer and younger fans can discover them and which ones just simply die. You know, and I just think that when you're talking about somebody's legacy and you want to allow people to be able to value to evaluate the full scope of the legacy, which means they need to have all the material available to them as possible. And to me, if you're talking about like 90s artists and especially an artist like Janet, the remixes are part of the story. The albums 
are sort of the anchors, but the remixes are part of the story and, and part of what she was trying to say as an artist. They The remixes represent ways she was trying to reach out to, to different other communities. And also, like it's particularly in the house mixes, it was ways of her reaching out to the children, to the black gay children. Like she's like, I, we, I see you, you know. I see you with Throb and I'm going to give you something else. I'm going to give you a mix of Throb that's really going to set y'all going. Do you know what I mean? Um, even with all the Rhythm Nation house mixes and stuff like that. Because house m- music was so, co- so closely associated with black gay culture. It's like when a big artist like Janet Jackson made a house mix, especially in the early days, for me as a black gay man, and I know for other um, black gay men of my friend group at the time, it was like we were being seen. And that she knew, she saw us and she knew what was important to us. And she knew that club music was important to us. And that's what she was given, giving us. So, I mean, I feel like you don't really get the full sense of an artist like Janet's legacy without giving access to these remixes. And I just, so, like, I just don't understand who is making these choices. And I don't understand what the rationale is behind it. Like, I just cannot understand. There must be a rationale because I would assume, you know, Somebody's not just, I mean, I assume somebody's making the choices for some reason, but I would really like to know what the rationale is. And as far as I'm concerned, you know, there are a lot of things to be creative with, with an artist's legacy. Like, be as cute as you want to be with these vinyl reissues. You can be as, you know, put them all different colors, have a, have a gatefold. Y'all be cute, be cute, cute, cute with those type of things but when it comes to the music just put the music out just put as much as the music out as possible in fact give us some mix give us some mixes that were on the dj only promos that maybe never even made it to the commercial mix give us as much of the music as we can possibly get that will allow fans that will allow new fans to um discover it and allow older fans to play the stuff that we like i mean why deny that to us so that's my whole issue with that. And I'm going to get more into it and more into how I feel that this kind of ties into what I feel as in the digital era that the whole house music and club music culture is very much being erased and how that ties into black gay culture being erased of a certain time because black gay culture and club culture was so intermixed. I mean, when you talk about the 90s, okay, there weren't that many black gay movies, right? Uh, black gay on TV, we were ridiculed on that living color with those two fools, you know, the men on film and everything like that. Black gay men created underground club music, okay? Black gay men created house music and create and it became such a phenomenon that it became part and parcel of the pop music world where somebody like Janet felt like again both to show us that we're seen to reach out to her club base but also just to remain relevant artists in the 90s had to have club music that's how relevant we made we as black amen made our culture in pop music that the pop stars had to acknowledge us in order for them to really have those big hits okay so they all had the underground club mixes and that also employed black gay men like people like frankie knuckles okay doing those type of records so it was an incredible moment of black gay creativity 
but slowly this is not being reflected in the digital age. And that's really bothers me. And I will talk about that um, more in the future, but I'm not trying to talk your ear off this time, especially since I'm late anyway with this um, episode. So all that to say, um, enjoy the reissues that are available, and I will put what I feel are the essential mix missing mixes from those releases on my website at craigspoplife.com. So that's it for this week. I will try to get back to you at the regular time next week, um, assuming I've solved some of these technical difficulties. As I always ask, if you like the show, please help me out and rate it on iTunes. You don't need to write anything. All you need to do is just push the number of stars and just you know press the number of stars. And I really appreciate it because it really helps out a lot with search results. And um, I also would like if you, you know, think somebody you know might like the podcast, well, then feel free to share the podcast with them. And, you know, but then again, the more you rate the show and the more the higher it shows up in search results, you might not even need to share the podcast with somebody more. They might be sharing it with you. They might be going, hey, have you heard this? Oh, yeah, listen. Okay, where'd you find out about it? I found out about this on search results. Okay, that's cool. (laughs) Say, you're doing a double, but so just by rating it, you're doing a double job. So, Anyway, until next time, y'all, as always, be cool, be kind, be creative, and in the words of my fave, be your damn self. (laughs) Anyway, I love y'all, and I will see you next week. I will talk to you next week. So, but you might see me. I might post a picture on the gram or Twitter, you know, who knows? Anyway, I love y'all. Bye.